from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. Welcome to Money Talk for Friday, February 9th, 2024. Checking the calendar, you've got choices this weekend. Flannel Palooza, the Lunar New Year, and of course, Comic Con. Stop me if I missed anything. Your Milwaukee Bucks are home for the next four days with games with Charlotte, Denver, Miami. The Milwaukee Admirals, the hottest team in the AHL, are home for three games in the next four days. And a sure sign spring next, next week, uh, pitchers and catchers report to Brewer Spring Training. That's easy for me to say. Spring training is next week. Let's start with Florida. It's always fun. A Florida lawmaker, Republican State Congressman Jason Schaff, is seeking looser regulations on the killing of wildlife. He has claimed that black bears are high on crack and breaking into people's homes. He's also claimed sharks are high on cocaine. <laughs> and tourists should be aware of marauding herpes-ridden monkeys. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. From southern England, we get this bit of news. An 18-karat golden, fully functioning toilet valued at $6 million was stolen from a palace that was part of an art exhibit. What a crappy thing to do. Mm. In Tesla news, Tesla owners are being told not to wear Apple virtual reality headsets while driving. They need to be told that? Is Tesla selling cars to 10-year-olds? And finally, a Costco shopper returned a sofa she purchased three and a half years ago. Why? Because she was just tired of the way it looks. I hope it doesn't work that way with her husband. <laughs> On the podcast today, we have Tom Pavitfus, Joel Dresang, Steve Giles, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max, and another good week overall. The NASDAQ up 2.3%, closing at the bell at 15,991. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, a pretty flat week overall, but added just 17 points, closing at 38,671. The S&P 500, after capturing that uh, elusive 5,000 points, uh, up 1.4% this week. That's 68 uh, to finish the week at 50.27. For the year, Dow Jones Industrial Average up 2.6. The S&P up 5.4. And the NASDAQ up 6.5%. You know, Steve, maybe the place to start this week is just with uh, a bit of a mental milestone for the S&P 500. We had uh, one of our retired advisors, Ron Hansen, email me earlier today. Uh, referencing an article going in the New York Times back in 1983 from John Templeton talking at the time about how the Dow was likely to hit 3,000 in the near future. Well, it took almost a decade for the Dow to get from that 1,100 up to 3,000. And yet, you know, here we sit with the Dow in the 30,000s pushing 40. And now the S&P is the one that's, you know, hitting this meaningful milestone. And I think we don't talk about these milestones all that often from a kind of high-level thinking perspective. They're not all that relevant. And yet, you know, I think it is worth pointing out, we've been on a bit of a hot streak for stocks recently, and this 5,000-point S&P does feel like at least it's a nice uh, kind of bottom for a market that's had a nice run higher. Yeah, Kyle, and I think it is a fantastic reminder uh, for us as investors that over longer periods of time, the market will continue to advance. I mean, thinking back to Templeton's comments from uh, the 80s, it was a pretty turbulent time for the markets. We were just coming off of a couple of uh, back-to-back recessions in 81, 82. 
We had the big market crash in uh, Black Monday, 1987, yet the market still uh, saw the Dow uh, double, more than double, uh, from 1,000 to 3,000. And, and here we stand again with the Dow Jones at over 38,000, uh, the S&P at 5,000. And I tell clients that they will live long enough to see Dow Jones 100,000. And it's just a matter of compounding, staying invested, uh, even considering this climb up to 5,000 for the S&P right now, we've had a pretty turbulent four, five, six years uh, going back to uh, COVID, obviously inflation, yet this market has continued to advance. You know, Tom, one of the books I think that so many of us live by in our industry is Stocks for the Long Run, this idea that, you know, if you give yourself enough time, as Steve points out, you're going to live to see Dow 100,000, you're going to live to see the S&P at 10 and 15 and 20, and it really comes down to the value of that compounding. Um, you know, I think there's a tendency to want to try to say, okay, what's going to happen tomorrow? But when you really look at longer term for markets, just staying invested tends to be the right answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I always remind people, you know, you can point to any number of issues our world is facing. And it's as much as it's unique to right now, you know, whether it's elections, wars, things like that, we've been through these periods of time in the past. and. And I wouldn't let it scare you too much from an investment standpoint that markets will continue to march on. You know, I, I always kind of tout or use cliched lines like, you know, no, never bet against American capitalism. Companies will find a way to make another dollar. And, and I always kind of re relate it on a more personal level to say, you know, these things that make you feel terrible, um, you know, these are events and things that don't may not make you feel well, but are you changing your spending habits? Are you changing the way you go about your life? Uh, until something like that starts to meaningfully change, then that's something to start to consider about how that might might play itself through uh, in investments and, and through the markets. But until that point in time, if you're still going to the movies, you're going out to dinner, and you're going shopping in, in a week from now or maybe going on a trip, um, these are all good things that should keep pushing on. You know, we talk about, you know, in meetings I have with clients, this idea of American exceptionalism, that there's just certain things that we do better than anybody else, and one of those things is certainly spend money. And so, Tom, to your point, yeah, you know, it, it is concerning when you look at the political landscape and see some of the discontent there, some of the, the argument that's going on. But at the same time, to your point, it's not changing spending patterns all that much. If anything, the economic data has pointed to sales being strong on the retail side, consumer spending being fairly strong. And, you know, while we'll have some of that data next week, in particular with the retail sales, um, you know, Joel, maybe this week a little quieter on the economic front, a couple of things stand out in particular, you know, on the services side, maybe signs that perhaps the economy is continuing on a pretty strong footing. Yeah, Kyle, the uh, Institute for Supply Management came out with its monthly index on service industry, and they it was at its highest uh, rating since September. Um, it's above the 12-month average. It's been signaling expansion in that sector, which is the biggest part of the economy for 13 months in a row. Um, they showed that based on what supply managers were telling them, that uh, new orders, employment, supplier deliveries are all, you know, growing at a faster pace than they have in a while. Um, and the, the executives were saying that they're optimistic overall with the business climate. And, and uh, a lot of that comes from their hope that the Fed uh, starts cutting interest rates this year. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that we've counted on there is inflation coming back to that 2% target. It has slowly made its way back, if not quite there yet. 
we'll have some more data on CPI next week. Um, and so in the interim, this was a week that more traded on earnings than anything else, more traded on just some rough positivity that's been out there more broadly. We did have some news on trade deficit this week in the economic data that pointed, Joel, to some, some changing trade patterns. That's right. Um, so uh, we saw that the, uh, the trade deficit actually uh, widened a little in, in December. But if you look year to year, the, the gap between uh, exports and imports actually shrunk a little from uh, 2022. And 2022 was a record high. Um, and it shrunk a little in part because um, we were, uh, the American people were uh, buying fewer imports. Um, part of that might be that they were overbuying in 2021 and 2022 coming out of the, the COVID lockdown. Um, so we might be getting more back to a, a normal uh, level, but um, it, it you know made that change between 2022 and 2023 of, of the gap narrowing a little. Um, and one of the things that uh, was a result of that is that um, the Mexico became the leading uh, import country for the U.S., um, beating China for the first time in 20 years. Again, that might be partly in uh, because, you know, uh, there were, we were buying too many uh, or, or, you know, an excessive amount of, of Chinese products in 2022, but there are also some trade policies in there and, and just um, some uh, buying patterns and, and manufacturing patterns that are different. And, of course, I think... Uh New York Times and a few other uh, publications have kind of piled on to that changing trade pattern. Steve, you sent me an article uh, from the New York Times on Wednesday, but then I saw the same headline repeated, you know, kind of Thursday and Friday this week as well, um, just talking about that very thing. And we had talked about it, you know, kind of mid-year last year that it was clear those trade patterns were changing. The one thing that gets missed in a lot of these headlines, though, is that um, China actually has a lot of investment in manufacturing in Mexico. And the benefit of that is that they can slap a made in Mexico label on these goods, and a lot of them are textiles, ship them across the border now without being exposed to those tariffs that they'd be exposed to if they were made directly in China. And so I think there is more to the story here as China's undergoing a pretty massive uh, you know, transition, some might say destruction right now in the home country. Uh, but their investment abroad is as strong as ever. And so I think it, it's, an, it's an interesting story. I think it certainly is a part of uh, some of the tariffs that were put on back in the Trump administration have been carried through the Biden administration that, okay, if this is the way you're going to play the game, then we'll play by your rules, but we're going to change how we play to suit the rules that you're now creating. And so it's an interesting kind of changing dynamic there. Yeah, and it becomes a bit of a shell game, right, Kyle, where, uh, you know, we make a change and, and then uh, other countries will react to that change and then we have to react to that reaction. I think the bottom line here is that at the end of the day, U.S. companies are looking for ways to obviously maximize their profits for shareholders. Uh, we always tell clients that when you're looking for investments and you're looking for decisions to uh, to make with respect to your portfolio it comes down to earnings and interest rates. Uh, company has earnings, uh, we're more likely to invest in them. Yeah, and of course, earnings season off in full swing here. We've got about a third of the businesses uh, out there left to report. And Tom, maybe a little bit of a stronger earnings season than we than we expected. Still, you know, kind of ho hum for for most of the year last year, but picking up uh, pretty considerably at the end. And it seems like a lot of that came from margin expansion from 
companies being price takers in a market in which inflation was an easy thing to blame for raising your prices. And at the same time, you know, maybe they raised them a little more than just what inflation would have otherwise had. You know, as you're kind of looking at portfolios and looking at earnings, you know, maybe one of the things that stands out to me is some of the valuation issues that come along with that. Um, and as we look at kind of the full year earnings forecast, starting to get an understanding for what kind of deals are out there is certainly on my mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, <clears throat> you look at recent, or I should say, yeah, the most recent forward earnings mark on the S&P 500, it's up to, you know, over the 20 mark, you know, and I always kind of tell clients, that always makes me a little bit uncomfortable, I, I'd say, to, to some extent, that you want to start to look at, I don't think it necessarily changes the landscape and the, the, the longer term forecast, but for people that are income takers, people that have, um, you know, some short term cash needs, you know, you, you want to try to optimize if that, you've made some nice gains, the market's up 21% since October, uh, broadly speaking, you, you know, it's not a bad time to take some of that off the table. I think if you, you know, additionally, you know, if I make a counterpoint to my initial point is, you know, you look at the valuations, if you look under the hood a little bit more, you know, it, it, as much as we talk about the Magnificent Seven and being so responsible for S&P 500 returns, it, it also kind of works the other way, that it's also responsible uh, in a great proportion to the, the valuations that you're seeing. I, I think the latest number that I had seen uh, when you look, let's say, at the S&P 493 from a valuation basis, it's not at 20 20.4 times future earnings, it's more about 15 to 16 in that range, um, which I would think is more fairly valued. So, I mean, that that is a broader view of overall U.S. companies, and, and it makes me feel a little bit better that, you know, that we don't have to be so fearful of buying in at a high point right now. If you have extra monies, monies you're trying to put in the market, um, you might see a little bit of rotation. Maybe people do a little profit-taking, and, you know, those seven companies that I think are right now PEs average around 32 times future earnings, if the number I saw was correct. Um, so it just, uh, you know, again, kind of a counterpoint to say that, you know, it's, it's important to pay attention to, but just because things are expensive doesn't mean they can't get more expensive. And more broadly speaking, things aren't that expensive. Yeah, and Tom, I think what you're referring to is just market breadth. Uh, in order for this um, market to continue to advance and to continue to test these new highs, we need participation from not just those seven companies. Uh, market breadth is hugely important and eventually... Um, uh, investors will take note and they'll recognize value where value is. And I think the challenge, of course, is that value doesn't strictly mean cheap prices, right? You you want to buy a shirt, you're going to buy the cheapest shirt you can buy, but you're getting sometimes what you pay for. And so I think the same is true of stocks. There's a lot of a, a lot of cheap stocks that are cheap for a reason. They don't have growth opportunity. The kind of return expectations are low enough that if the alternative is, well, I'll take that 4 or 5% dividend I can get on that utility stock, they're probably not going to grow all that much because their pricing is pretty well controlled, their market is pretty well established. Well, I can get that same 4 or 5% dividend on bonds. Why wouldn't I just buy a bond that's a lot higher quality, a lot more certain? And so I think there's a big part of the market that can just be ignored because those stocks are cheap and they're cheap for a reason. That's going to shift a little bit as interest rates change. It's going to shift a little bit, I think, as some of these big 7 or 10 or 15 or however many stocks are participating right now, um, as they do get more expensive, it, it does get more interesting to look at other areas. But I think you got to be careful as an investor to just chase cheap because it's cheap, um, as opposed to chasing high-quality businesses that might be a little expensive but have the opportunity to grow. And so... You know, Steve, we talk about this all the time, but I think you want 
a little bit of both, right? You want some stocks that are cheap, that have opportunities, but you also want to buy some of that growth stuff, even if it looks expensive, because you know it has that opportunity to continue to grow more for you. You know, Joel, maybe one thing that um, I want to point out and that you and I have talked about quite a bit, we put in newsletters, is kind of the prevalence of some of the fraud and some of the other schemes that are out there. Um, one that we have seen quite a bit as we enter Valentine's Day is these romance schemes. Um, you know, I don't know what you're hearing, what you're seeing, but certainly that's something that um, when we talk to clients, especially older clients, more susceptible to these kinds of things, we want to continue to make them aware of some of the things that are out there. Yeah, you have to be really uh, aware of, of what's going on out there. We, we started a new feature on our website and in our newsletters that we call Heads Up, and it's just uh, basically, you know, uh, providing a, a recent example of, of some of the scams that are going on out there. There are so many, though, and this, this uh, the, the one that's sort of going for the lonely hearts right now is, is really too bad because it's really playing on people's emotions and, you know, working on them to, to separate them from their money. And to be clear, if someone's asking you to buy uh, Bitcoin and send it their way or buy, you know, gift cards and send it their way, odds are there's a better way to help them if you know them. And if you don't know them, okay, what are you, what are you doing here in the first place? And so if you ever question something, if you ever have uh, concerns, you know, reach out to your advisor, reach out to one of your kids or one of your friends and just say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Because what they're going to try to do is rush you into making a decision. What they're going to try to do is convince you that, well, if you don't do this now, this opportunity's gone. And the reality is that there just aren't that many situations in which you've got to act immediately in order to help people out. You know, Kyle, sometimes I tell my kids that um, usually in life, it's the things that you don't do that you regret. But these are examples of things that you do that you will regret. It's better just to leave it alone. It is. And, you know, maybe the last thing I'll mention this week at the risk of maybe getting a cease and desist letter from the NFL is with the Super Bowl <laughs> on tap. Um, you know, we talk about... Uh, it's a Super Bowl of guacamole. Yeah, yes, yes. It's a Super Bowl of guacamole, a Super Bowl of soup, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but with, uh, with the big game on tap in the NFL here this weekend, um, you know, you're going to see plenty written about uh, the Super Bowl indicator. We've got uh, that in play this year. Um, and certainly we can bring it up next week when we know the winner and talk about what it means. But I think at least for now, know that uh, at the end of the day, we're merely talking about superstitions. Um, with that, uh, enjoy the big game this weekend. We enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to Talk at Landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at Landis.com. <laughs>